0: It's Clothed Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies. I'm Ephraim Ellis, and because we're doing a morning record over here in Ontario today, I'm wearing a uh, olive green Arts and Crafts Records t-shirt that I stole from a wardrobe department on a TV show I did in 2004, and some really, really cool homemade pajama pants that my sister made me for my birthday a couple years ago from a really light fabric featuring a Star Trek The Original Series print that I think was made in, like, the 80s or something? It's pretty sweet. Got Captain Kirk all over my pants. That is... Pretty awesome,
1: and I am Chris Small. And because it's late at night here in Australia, I'm pretty much on theme with what you're wearing. I am wearing pajama bottoms that are from not my sister, but from a, a lovely lady named Kate Mart. I don't think that's her her real name; it's just Kmart, and a op shop clothing that has burgers and fries on the patch. And I just thought that that was just adorable. You know the Kmart? I do actually. You know, it's not a big deal. Miss Mart to some, but Kate to her friends. I don't i don't want to tell tell too many people because then there'd be a target on my back well this has been clothesmen discuss bare naked ladies i'm
0: <laughs> it's late at night i'm sorry i really wanted to continue that bit but nothing was coming again you can't force these things it's not like lightning in a bottle and today we are discussing the bare naked ladies 2017 studio album fake nudes terrible title I don't like that title.
1: You, you actually said that at the end of the Silver Ball episode. That was like one of the very last things. You still have not changed your mind on that, which is funny because I do have to apologize to our listeners. I picked up the editing of the last episode, which is probably why, if you're a regular listener, we went from Grinning Streak to Silver Ball, and it was about a five-month
0: absence. So we're going to try to be a bit better on this one. Okay, 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 okay. No, you're—no, not— five months. Well, four and a half. I it was half. like three. Four and a half. <laughs> four and a half. Four and a half. I mean, I could very easily look at the tags, but I'm lazy. Oh, geez, I did not notice that. I th- honestly thought it was like, oh, I know, it's been like eight weeks, maybe, maybe ten.
1: It's a bold move for our Twitter channel to say a bi-weekly podcast. It was definitely more than bi-weekly, so. Uh, I,
0: it, we also changed that from weekly originally to bi-weekly. We thought like, ah, oh, meh.
1: we're pushing the release schedule a little bit. Sliding scale.
0: But hey, guys, we're doing this for fun and for your entertainment and our own entertainment. We're not doing this for the dollars. We're not trying to get those cool Casper mattress dollars or anything like that. We're doing this to have a good time. So I'm totally okay that we're being a little bit relaxed.
1: I know. And Magic Spoon doesn't deliver to Australia. So even if they want to sponsor this podcast. The
0: idea of like kid cereal that's good for you makes me worry about like what has science done? please send us a check, Magic Spoon. Maybe we'll release episodes faster. Fake Nudes, the studio album by the Naked Ladies, was released November 17th, 2017, and the number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 chart that week was Rockstar by Post Malone featuring 21 Savage. Those are some words I don't understand.
1: Rockstar was one of those. It was huge in Australia as oh, it was cool. kind of worldwide. First song, time I listened to it, I went, eh, this is music. And then the second, third, fourth, fifth time I listened to it, I went, oh, this is music. It's very funny how same sentence, but the inflection
0: came out. It, it's del- it's deliriously catchy. Oh, sweet. So I, I have never heard that song, but there's a couple further down on this current hits list that I do remember, despite the fact that we are absolutely like heavily into the I am no longer connected with the zeitgeist period of pop music. The number one song of the Canadian Billboard 100 that week was Havana by Camilla Cabello, featuring... Featuring Young Thug, I know who Young Thug is. I don't know who Camila Cabello is, and I have never heard the song Havana.
1: Havana na na na, and then ad ad nauseum. Uh, That's really it. I've I- given you the lyrics. I don't know what Young Thug does on that song. I was I was amazed when I found out that there was a second person.
0: Oh, see, okay, but you know the song, and you do not recall where Young Thug comes in on that track.
1: Maybe vocal harmonies?
0: So see if there's one thing that Young Thug is known for is for his perfect pitch. And his youth. The number one song of 2017 on the Billboard charts was Shape of You by Ed Sheeran. Now, yet again, I can't... Think of that song's tune off the top of my head, but I've certainly heard of it. I know you've
1: got this sweet curmudgeony thing like, ah, oh, popular music, what's that? But if you were gonna tell me that, oh, I've never heard Shape of You or I don't know who this Ed Sheeran is, I'd be like, Ephraim, now 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 you're now you're full of shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. No, okay, but the thing is that Ed Sheeran is kind of like a present day Justin Bieber to me, insofar as that I know who they are and what they look like but I have certainly never really heard any of their music or could sing even a, a phrase of a tune right. off the top mm-hmm. of my head. No, that's that's fair.
1: That was my wife's number one song of 2017. Aw. It was a constant in our house, and by that I mean it was played multiple times a day, every day, for 2017. Huh. Do you have a song like that for 2017 or a song like that for this year? The one that I personally enjoy, that like I'd say, yeah. good question, probably... You know what? This is gonna sound very odd, but yes. And remember that I have been locked down, people. You know, my I'm I'm slowly going insane. My ex's best friend by Machine Gun Kelly. Luckily, it's only a two minute song. Machine Gun Kelly, I thought was a rapper. He's gone punk rock, and it reminds me very much of the music I listened to in high school. So yeah, two minute pop punk song by Machine Gun, Gun Kelly. My ex's best friend. It is very different from Fake Nudes by the Bare Naked Ladies. <laughs>
0: Uh, Machine Gun Kelly isn't a rapper?
1: He was for six he albums. Was? Oh, okay, great, okay. I'm not losing my mind then. And then he said, I, I like Blink-182.
0: I'm gonna do what those guys did. I really, really dig that. Yeah. Yeah, sweet. W- what about yourself? Uh... All year, probably my top two songs is uh, Ghosts by Bruce Springsteen, which was the lead-off single from Letter To You, which is the album we put out this year, and then a much older song, Higher Place by Journey, that came out in 2001. Yeah, I have vigorously air-drummed to that song many, many times. friggin' great. The number one songs of 2017 on the Canadian Billboard charts were Shape of You by Ed Sheeran and Despacito by Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee featuring Justin Bieber. Now that is a song I have heard. Oh yeah, you and the rest of the world. (laughs) Both broke records in Canada for the longest run at number one since the Canadian Billboard chart's inception in 2007 at 16 weeks each. I didn't know that the Canadian Billboard chart was created in 2007. They had tracking before that but it
1: wasn't officially billboard so all of the stats that we pulled out before about canada it was their own kind of rating system and i think it was owned by one of the major radio stations in canada and then billboard just basically absorbed it so officially it's been the canadian billboard charts since 2007 i wonder
0: if it came out of the uh, of the those older charts came out of like the chum chart
1: yes that's exactly what it is the chum charts yes that's exactly it Despacito is a song that for some reason irrationally pisses me off because the entire song is done in Spanish. And that's absolutely fine. It's great. But then in the middle of it, it just goes, Despacito, this is how we do it in Puerto Rico.
0: In clear English, why would you just do one lyric in English and then go back? Isn't that a common thing in a lot of in a lot of non-English pop music? Like, isn't there a lot of K-pop that has English
1: choruses for no good reason while the rest of the song is in Korean? I don't know. I don't listen. I haven't listened to K-pop. Yeah. Neither have I. I'm just... This is where we find out that Ephraim's been living a lie the whole time to you, the listeners. He's been like, give me good old Bruce Springsteen, but you know he's going to be listening to some Big Bang after this is done.
0: I just love that weird little thumb thing that BTS does. It's so cute. <laughs> Fake nudes peaked at number 24 on the Canadian album charts and number 48 on the U.S. rock album charts. I am not... Well, I'm... To be honest, I'm a little surprised it charted in general. We'll get into that. Why don't you tell us how you really feel, Ephraim? <laughs> uh, uh, uh. There are two singles from the album. "Looking Up was the lead single, released on September 8th, and Bringing It Home was also released to those who pre-ordered the album. I'm also looking at my notes on this thing. There was also some, what do they call it, six instant gratification downloads? Oh, yeah. If you pre-ordered it, so they basically, like, slowly released the first six tracks in the six weeks leading up to the record as well. So, like, those aren't singles technically, but they did release a lot of the tracks independently before the record came out, which is kind of interesting and I think speaks to the more streaming-based economy that 2017 was hitting in. So, Chris, I... uh, Just to jump right to the point, I'm kind of underwhelmed on this album. What do you think? I... (sighs) I was pleasantly surprised,
1: much like Silverball. I forgot that some of these tracks were quite good. I did enjoy a few of them, but I think that honestly, this album, looking back, probably has one of my favorite Bare Naked Lady songs. It might crack oh. the top ten of, of BNL songs, singles, but I agree with you. I think that Silverball, we both kind of agreed, was a really nice the way that you summed it up was perfect. You know, it was the maroon to grinning streak stunt i feel like this is just kind of it, it breaks that successful chain so it's kind of like you know all in good time despite you thinking that's a good album mm-hmm. shit um <laughs> for for me uh <sighs> and then grinning streak one of my favorites Silverball, nice surprise this just i could take it or leave it it felt like a different band.
0: Yeah, a lot of it sounds like a different band or like other bands. I listened to the whole thing front to back like two times in the car with Megan on the way home from the cottage yesterday, and Megan kept on pointing out like, oh, this sounds like a blue song. So yeah. like a lot of my commentary on these tracks is going to be like, hmm, this is the this is BNL's attempt at doing a this type like a this band song or this band song. If you look at my notes, a lot of them are the exact same. I'm like this
1: feels like a ripoff of Green Day, or this feels like a weird kind of John Mellencamp song. Like yeah. it's it's
0: very yeah very out there. And and this is the thing is because I really like everything to everyone, but this feels like yeah moving into the this is the everything to everyone in that trilogy like the Maroon to Stunt to Everything to Everyone. I feel like there's a similar arc from grinning streak to silver ball to fake nudes
1: what's interesting about it is i feel like at least based on the professional reviews this was almost kind of similar to army and our men in the sense that a lot of the consensus with that it was good but it's a very bloated album like mm-hmm. it didn't need
0: to be 14 tracks like it could have done well at being like at 11 yeah or even 14 tracks one of the reasons i'm excited to because i still haven't listened to detour de force because we were gonna try to do a cool live listen episode <laughs> of some kind
1: well i really screwed the pooch on that Oh, you apologies. Did? Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, I haven't listened. No, I haven't listened to it, but I remember oh, okay. um, Megan, Megan your darling yeah. wife had this very cool idea about doing it on launch
0: day, but that's oh, well, well and truly past. Eh, that's okay. We'll be a couple months off. It's fine yeah so one of the reasons I'm excited about detour de force is because it's been like five or six years since fake nudes came out four and a half five years, which is I think a good amount of time for them at this point in their career in 2017 to like walk away for a while and really like really work on the songs and develop like a really strong set of songs because like Silverball and the Army are men duology, this one feels a lot like Mm, did you have to release this song? Well, especially because
1: it was only Silverball came out in 2016. It's only been a year between these two albums.
0: Like that's insane. Oh, I thought it was 2015, so I thought it was I thought it was like a year and a half. But it's still like a year and a half, two years. Like, barely any time at all. Yeah, I remember when when Fake Nudes came out. No, I don't remember when Fake Nudes came out because I only found out this album came out in, like, 2019 because I just wasn't paying attention to their release because I'm surely there isn't a new record by
1: now. So let me ask you something. I'm going to put you on the hot seat here. Clearly, you're not a fan of this album. I think it's fine. Now, we've talked about our love of Kevin Hurt. Do you think that this album suffers from having it be half of him? And that's one of the things it's usually (laughs) those tracks have been kind of novelty tracks and not novelty in the sense that, Oh, this is, Oh, this is cute. More, it's a different or a departure from the rest of it. But this is very much, this could be a thin buckle album.
0: Yeah. Cause all of Kevin's songs on this feel very Kevin-y to me. So when you oh, switch we'll the, that. <laughs> when you switch the, when you switch the lead vocalist, it does almost feel like a different band and like two different albums kind of fighting with each other. And the thing is, I don't like hate all of Kevin's tracks. There's actually one of them that is my, one of my new favorite bare naked lady songs of all time for very, very, very specific personal taste reasons. Um, Wow, okay. Yeah, so of the six Kevin Hearn tracks, there's one that is like maybe in my top 10, top 15 songs, and the rest of them I'm like, I am not interested in these songs (laughs) at all. And like, they're fine. They're just not super bnl to me, and I would rather listen to the Ed songs, and I feel bad about (laughs) that. Especially because a lot of the ones, uh, a lot of the Kevin songs on this album that I'm not a huge fan of, I do admit are musically interesting. It's like going to a flea market when you're
1: record shopping. Like, you're looking for records at a flea market, and you have to go through... Like, you'll find a gem, but at the same time, there's a lot of, you know... Kevin Claxton plays the flugelhorn. Megan, once at a
0: church bazaar, once got me a record of live from a German party. That was just accordion and, like, beerstein clinking sounds. And it's actually quite delightful. I imagine it was very efficient, and it was still very... uh, It was a very polished party. This, oh, this, this sounds from the beer garden.
1: Yeah, those are generally my
0: thoughts on the album.
1: Yeah, it's also, I feel like, I feel like Too Many Cooks in the Kitchen a bit too. Not only do you have Kevin and Ed, but you've got Kevin Griffin back from Better Than Ezra on four different tracks, which is fine. But then they just bring in like a hit songwriter. For which song? One of the tracks for actually one of the singles. It was Looking Up, Sam Hollander. It it just feels like there might have been a bit too much mucking around, which also might contribute to the weird kind of identity crisis, you know, in the songs and the songwriting. Yeah. So that's a surprisingly mellow album, I found. There's not a lot of up-tempo songs. That's a very big thing I put too. It was like, it's very acousticy. Like there really aren't
0: a lot of songs that actually have like an electric guitar in them. Yeah, without being super folky either. Yeah. Because you'd think it would go in that other direction. Yeah. And yeah, weird name. Like I, the pun on fake news, you're like, sure. And, oh yes, they're the bare naked ladies when they're neither of those things. They are fully clothed men like us. So I get that it's a pun, but yeah, just, I don't know. Don't like the title. See, I didn't.
1: It only took today until I realized that nudes was also bare naked and I felt very dumb.
0: No, 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 no. You're a very, very smart man with pithy, insightful commentary. This is why I do this podcast, for validation. Validation for people that I respect. Well, let's continue to validate our own opinions by putting them out there on the air by getting into the tracks on this album. Track one, Canada Dry. you me high and Canada dry. I'm out of your head and I'm losing my mind. Listening to me. You're leaving me high. I enjoy this song. It's probably one of the ones I've listened to the most off this record, because again, we are into the era of streaming. This is kind of into the period of my life where I started making Spotify playlists, and I just kind of threw this on to a lot of playlists because it was really the only one I knew from this album, because I didn't listen to the whole album the whole way through very often. But now that I've listened to the whole album a lot more in Depth. It's no longer one of my favorite songs on it. Like it's, it's fine. So later, later on the record, I'm gonna keep saying this sounds like BNL trying to do like what you said, like a Green Day song or a hip song or this. Canada Dry feels like they're doing a parody of a Bare Naked Ladies song. Like they, like it sounds like BNL doing BNL rather than being BNL. If that makes any sense. Does this
1: song sound anything like Great Big C or Blue Rodeo? Because one of my favorite things about this is the fact that Jim Cuddy and Alan Doyle do the harmonies.
0: And that just tickled me pink. I did not know that until you just told me that. I also love that because Jim Cuddy and Ed Robertson have done backup and co-lead on a couple Alan Doyle tracks. So clearly, again, they all know each other. And I think I've said this on the, the pod before. It's, I think it's really weird and kind of neat that those three dudes and those three bands are friends because even though they all are Canadian folk bands, they're so different. Oh, 100%. They're they've... super, super different sounds. All such a distinctive,
1: yeah, they've all got their own thing going. But I really want to see a super band now, like just a traveling super band of those three. Me too.
0: I am super duper into that. Like a late 90s Canadian folk rock traveling Wilburys thing. Yeah, exactly. The traveling Wilburys. Like it's
1: a poor man's Canadian traveling Wilburys.
0: Okay, wait. So in that case, I feel like Ed is Bob Dylan and Alan Doyle is George Harrison and Jim Cuddy is Tom Petty. Yeah. Yeah. Do, who would Roy Orbison be in that in that
1: lineup? Tyler Stewart. They can bring him around, too. He's got the they can bring him around too. He's, he's, he's got the <laughs> swag. It doesn't matter that he's also in Bare Naked Ladies. Also, does not matter that Roy Orbison has one of the greatest
0: vo- voices of all time and Tyler Stewart cannot sing very well? Oh, jeez. So, yeah, I just find Canada Dry to be just a little bit too jokey boys to me. What do you think, Chris? I thought that you were going to be like, I find it just a bit dry and I got
1: really excited and I was going to be like, ah, a bit too <sighs> jokey, boys. Uh, that, that's interesting, actually. Yeah, it's, it's very folksy, like you mm-hmm. said, but but very, I don't know. I like the references to other Canadian artists. Like they they shout out Neil Young, they shout out Joni Mitchell, they shout out at the end it's Gordy. So a lot of people have said you know I don't know if that's Gord Downey or if that's Gordon Lightfoot, but either one is amazing.
0: I always assumed it was Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. It could be Gord Downey too. That's interesting.
1: And I don't know. Had he passed away prior to this album? I mean, they were recording in. Gord Downey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Because I feel like he, they were recording this in
0: early 2017. I think they had just come off the road. I think he was still alive at this point, but... Um, uh, he was certainly still alive while they were writing this song. He he died a month before this album came out.
1: Okay. interesting that you think it's a bit too jokey, boys. I didn't really get any type of... I, I found it very kind of... Very earnest,
0: actually. Well, it's it's more just like all the references. Mm. It was a little bit jokey for me, and it kind of is at odds with that earnestness. There's nothing funny about
1: Canada, Ephraim.
0: And tell me if you agree with me on this one. I was also kind of bummed that this also feels like they're yet again starting another record with a song about Steve leaving the band?
1: Yeah, I did see that, that some people do believe that this is about Steve and re-listening to the lyrics, I could very much see that. Yeah. Maybe it's only because I staunchly refuse to look at it through that lens because I'm kind of sick of them writing songs about Steve. Yeah, me too. That's
0: why it doesn't tickle me.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that that's absolutely fair. So I kind of choose to look at it as in a love letter to Canada. But mm-hmm. but I think that's also me just kind of having blinders on.
0: I think that's kind of the thing for me too is that like I would like it if it was just the we're singing a nice song about Canada but because... To me, it feels so much more just like a yet another I'm working through my feelings about Steve song, and I'm tired of that. I just, I can't get into it. And also those two different songs, the one that's just about Canada and the other one that's about Steve are kind of butting up against each other, and it doesn't quite mesh. In the uh, vinyl release, you
1: can faintly hear Alan Doyle in the uh, final sections of the song saying he ain't coming back Ed (laughs) oh no (laughs) you gotta get over yourself bye there's plenty of other fish in that great big sea
0: that was horrible (laughs) oh no Uh, that joke was really bring it home yes yeah track two bringing it home just like you did oh yeah I'm bringing it home Very much back in the vein of it feels like Ed's trying to write a hit single kind of songs to me. Makes sense that it
1: was one of the singles then. Yeah, it definitely has that kind of... And I mean, I think my first note off the bat to you was, does it work as a single? despite him kind of swinging for the fences because I agree I think they're trying to get that single magic going I think it's probably one of the weaker songs and one of the first kind of references as we've said this one definitely reminds me of John Cougar Mellencamp song specifically Jack and
0: Diane just like the way that the phrasing is and things like that I'm like oh yeah okay okay cool that did not occur to me but now that you say it I can't unsee it yeah to me it more felt like in a similar way to oh what was that oh was
1: it did i say that out loud because i know that's one of the songs on grinning streak you don't like that's exactly that is literally
0: the song i was thinking of this one feels very much in the did i say that out loud territory where it feels like they're trying to do tonight's gonna be a good night by the black eyed peas <laughs> Like, and again, it doesn't sound like that song, but it feels like that song to me. Well, what do you think of The Sweet Rat Bridge by Ed? That is the one thing I like about this song, and I love it. And tell me if you agree with me on this one. This feels the most rappy that Ed has ever felt on a track. 100%. Like a lot of the other times when Ed raps, it's like, oh, is he rapping or is he just singing really fast and rhyming? This one, I feel like he is explicitly rapping and I'm, I'm here for it. It's great.
1: 100%. I completely agree. I remember going into it. I'm like, oh yeah, like he's got that swagger going on. Like just his, even just the actual like general mechanics and conventions of rapping were more like, you know how usually rappers will be like, I'm this. Like that. And when he goes, I'm glad, like Gladwell,
0: I'm like, yeah. Good. <laughs> Such a dorky ass reference to put yep. in a track. It's so good. And maybe it's a bit weird that I like this because it's not part of the lyrics you'd have to write or anything. It's just about the style of rap that you G- I like that he put in the weird little, kind of like vaguely Jay Z, yep, right <laughs> at the end of the verse. It's true, actually. Because just adding that little, yep right at the end just makes it so much more hip-hop than the other rapping that he does and I I really really like it it's great you know what's not hip-hop this
1: song was used on American Airlines flights in 2017 that landed so it was a song that they just put on the PA for a while there is nothing more hip-hop than selling out to a commercial airline actually that is very hip-hop now that I think about it
0: like (laughs) hip-hop there's a lot of things about like planes and like owning your own jet. They're just bringing that feeling to the other passengers. That being said, I still, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> that being said, I still don't like Yeah, that. no, I, I I, do like that that probably was a pretty decent payday for the guys. Yeah. I can only imagine that the royalties for, like, being played on the plane every single time it lands. But also, American Airlines, but they're a Canadian band! Yeah, it's very true. I don't get it. It's kind of weird. Which brings us to track three, the first Kevin track on this album, Invisible Fence. Yeah. I think this is my least favorite Kevin track on this album. It's yeah. really hurt by its placement. Like, yeah, I don't get why this is track three.
1: Yeah, and it yeah. gets really real at the end. Like, he's first he's first starting talking about, you know, like, I'm going to build an invisible fence to keep you in, and then he starts talking about, like, it doesn't matter what religion you are, what race you are, they're going to break down all these social barriers, and it just kind of comes out of nowhere in the last verse,
0: and you're like, wait, what? Oh, because I thought it kind of, like, naturally moved from, like, speaking about the personal to the general, that, like, oh, the metaphor is in the invisible fences that we put up between each other and the song starts off talking about that concept on a one-to-one personal relationship basis and then the last verse is about how you know people do that writ large in society so
1: look in terms of You know, allegories, it's better and an improvement for Kevin Hearn, a man who wrote a song called Vanishing about a magician. (laughs) Literalism is fine sometimes. It's not my least favorite song of his on the album. In terms of the Mountain Goat scale, this is definitely not breaking all those rules.
0: Again, yeah, it has a nice central metaphor, but at the same time, most of the song is just Ed going invisible, fence. Like, it's just the words invisible and fence for 60% of the song. Yeah. And it just kind of gets boring real fast. I feel like, I don't know if this is Kevin in general, but I feel like surely Kevin listens to a lot of They Might Be Giants. All of Kevin's songs on this album, except for one, sound really, really They Might Be Giantsy y to me. And especially the way on this song that Kevin is singing most of it and then very clearly Ed comes in on the chorus and it's clearly his voice kind of sounds to me like the two, two lead John vocalists of They yeah. Might Be Giants, the way they kind of mix some of their songs. Too, so, and I don't, I don't enjoy They Might Be Giants nearly as much as I did in grade 11. So, not a huge fan of this song.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's just it. Ephraim said before we started recording, like, I think this is gonna be a quick episode because there's a lot of songs that are just gonna be like, it's
0: okay. And I think this is one of those. <laughs> Ideally, the rest of the album is looking up. <laughs> pretty good i really want to see what you're going to do with a visible fence but there's no way there's no way to <laughs> organically blend that into a sentence yeah so this is another single sorry mm-hmm. slash this is the one actual single according to the release. Chris, what do you think about this as the lead-off single?
1: I think it works as the lead-off single in the sense that it's definitely very catchy. It definitely has that look, they're playing it safe. It's a safe song, I think is the best way that I could probably describe it, because it's definitely not my favorite on the album. Far from it. It's okay. I mean, Ed Mm -hmm. Robertson himself says it's a bit optimism. It's a very important time for optimism. This was, of course, the second year of Donald Trump being President of the United States and therefore the world being a bit wonky you know we live in a world that tends to emphasize the negative Uh, we certainly have problems we all need to address but the narrative is that we're in constant danger and that doom is imminent it's not real it's gripping and it gets your intention but it's not a realistic narrative I think it's important to try and have a broader perspective I think that's really important at the same time It's a very manufactured song because, again, there's three songwriters on this. One of who, as we touched on, is Sam Hollander. He has written over 22 top 40 songs. Apparently, his Hmm. songs collectively have streamed like 4 billion uh, listens on Spotify. So, like, he's... Holy guacamole. He's a hit writer. So, it very much is them kind of going through that single-making machine. And that's kind of disappointing seeing as they're technically still an independent band. I believe?
0: This is the third record that they'd released on Vanguard, which is not like a major label, but it's like a subsidiary of a minor American label, if I'm not mistaken. It's another one of the reasons I'm excited for Detour de Force. They're full independent again for the oh, new yeah. album. Yeah, and I also feel like that maybe that's why the this trilogy of albums sounds kind of similar, because Grinning Streak through this one were all released on Vanguard, so I don't know if maybe there was some like producers back at the office that were kind of directing things. Yeah. I also like the message of this song especially after reading Ed's thoughts on it that he brings up himself. Yeah, because there are so many horrible pressing problems in the world that have to be dealt with But I don't think that we're living in the end times, that a lot of people say that we are. (laughs) Um, Especially not in 2017. Oh yeah, I guess this was even five years ago, yeah. (laughs) Because the thing is, like, not to diminish any of the horrible, pressing, worldwide problems that cause people to say, oh, we're living in the end times, but I just hate that phrase, uh, because I I feel like that just makes people give up on those problems, because there's no Mm. way around them if... Truly, it is that, like, just give up at that point. If it's the end times, then there's no point to. Putting in the effort to try to fix all of those problems. So yeah, I like that the message of the song is kind of pushing back against that. So I dig that. The music of the song, the the opening, the sounds like a like an ad to me. Like it sounds like the riff in a Spotify ad that there would be do 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 Try premium for three months. Like it's got this kind of very very commercial commercially advertisement sound to it. You're almost imagining that, like, you can just
1: visualize that your video will begin in five, four, three, two, one. Skip this ad, kind of yes, thing at the bottom. Yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. And I didn't know this song, but again, while listening to it in the car yesterday, my excellent and very observant wife, Megan Speakman, pointed out and then played the song for me to prove that she was correct that uh, Looking Up by the Bare Naked Ladies is just Top of the World by Imagine Dragons?
1: Oh, is that the I Had a Dream? At, whoa, oh, 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 Yep. oh, oh. oh. Yep. yep. Yeah, it's that one. Yeah, that it's it's literally the exact same song. As soon as you said Imagine Dragons, or as soon as Megan said Imagine Dragons, I'm just like, yep, okay, I can see that. Wait,
0: is it that song? No, because I don't see the word dream in these lyrics. I just looked up the
1: lyrics. Yeah, but I'm the same person who thought that Bette Davis' eyes
0: was called The Devil's Eyes. Devil's so don't, Eyes? Don't. Okay, so maybe it's, you're, we're probably thinking of the same song. Yeah, but it's got the same kind, like to the point where now that I know that there was a top 40 writer working on this song, I, I can't find out who wrote that song, but I'm like, I wonder if Sam Hollander had anything to do that song by Imagine Dragons because these songs sound exactly the same and also a really minor thing to bother me. Ed's pronunciation of the word road on this is so Canadian and it just, (laughs) every town and every road, it just jumps out at me in the chorus and it bothers me and I don't know, it probably shouldn't but eh. his Canada dry drawl Moving right along? Yeah, Let's move on Yeah, I mean it's the morning so you know, it's starting to sunshine sunshine burns your skin sometimes the things we love so much just eat us up from the outside in oh, yeah that's pretty good oh that was a stretch this is one of those tracks where I was like this is going to be a quick record I'm not sure that's going to end up being true by the end of it but this is one of those tracks where I, I have pretty much no notes because I'm like I don't have much to say it's this song is fine
1: Maybe it's because I'm in lockdown and have a
0: lot to think about.
1: I I, uh, I, think I know where you're going with this. I saw your notes. I like it a lot better if this is what
0: the song is actually about.
1: Well, because like Ed Robertson, again, like from his mouth, he says sunshine is about recognizing that sometimes we just need a change of scenery. It's easy to get wrapped up in your own head and things make sense to you if you never say them out loud to the person, did I say that out loud? Who matter the most? (laughs) Apparently Tyler Stewart says it's his best song. He says he's very proud of it. And a couple of people like looking on Reddit and a couple of other discussion forums, a lot of people agree. I don't. And I am also convinced that that is all a load of bullshit. I think this song is straight up about vampires.
0: Uh, And I think that, now that you've pointed it out, there's a lot of textual evidence to support that thesis. Yeah, it's not just the sunlight burning skin. I'm like, okay,
1: well, that that would be easy. But they start talking about the things we love so much, eat us up. Yo, that's, that's straight up a vampire. Live with your ghost. Vampires are undead talking about how they can't shake it. Even at one point,
0: it's just like, you know, I ran, but we all knew the outcome because you're not going to run a vampire. So even the first line, uh, something that I just I just picked up on, uh, most of us have to learn to trust what we see with our own eyes. Vampires don't have reflections. They can't rely on a mirror to know what they look like. They have to trust their own eyes. We're through the looking glass here, people. Well, not the vampire, but... That out of view, it's still true. Just because you can't see them in the mirror doesn't mean they're there. It's scary. That's exactly it this, this song is straight up about vampires Cool, yep Yeah, the only other thing I have to say about this song Is that, yeah, this uh, this record's really mellow so far Yeah, it really is Yeah, let's keep it moving so we can get out of this uh, Get out of these dirty, dusty rooms In the dirty, dusty rooms Hey there, Jen. Where have you been? How'd you make the time fly? Down at the gym Oh no, you're wincing on the video. I feel like we're gonna have a similar opinion.
1: I was gonna say, it's very funny that you were talking about how this has been a really um, mellow album. This really does not do anything to change that, that's for sure. Nope, nope. Yet another
0: really, really down tempo song. Is this your least favorite? Oh no, sorry, Invisible Fences. Invisible Fences is my least favorite. This is, uh, this is my second least favorite. (laughs) This is absolutely my second least favorite Kevin track on this. this
1: Well, I mean, straight up. It's about Kevin Hearn just
0: writing about staying in a hotel room. Yet again, I I think more than because Tyler has gone on record saying that Jim Cregan writes about the things that are right in front of him. I think more Kevin Hearn does. A lot.
1: yeah. And sometimes Kevin Hearn writes about Jim Cregan being right in front of him because literally there's a line saying Jim walked by by my room. And then he's like, where have you been, Jim? I'm at the gym. I am convinced that he was just writing lyrics and he kept on going and he realized, oh, shit, I wrote this down. But whatever, I'm going to go with it.
0: Wait, was is it your theory that he started writing this song because he realized Jim rhymes with Jim? Yes. Or is that, okay, that isn't like something from, that isn't like a fact out there in the world that he has said? That's just your theory? Okay. That's my theory I that. I think it's true. Yeah, I think it's true. I do like that on that line when he says, hey, there, Jim, really low down in the mix. They have Jim Krieger and just go,
1: hey. Oh, I've never noticed that. I'm gonna have to go back and listen, even though I hate this song. Yeah. Hate's a strong word. I dislike it violently.
0: Yet again, this also has like a pretty strong They Might Be Giants vibe to me. Mm. And also like Invisible Fence, really, really repetitive, which grates on me because it's just dirty dusty rooms dirty dusty rooms dirty dusty rooms over and over again and is kevin okay this is the second song about feeling isolated i think it's (laughs) it's weird because
1: he definitely strikes me and he's gone on the record of of being an introvert Yeah. yeah but this doesn't seem you'd think that he'd feel more comfortable in a hotel room but it sounds like that isolation is kind of weighing on him also what do you think of the outro when ed just Kind of mocks Kevin and does the dirty dusty room. <laughs> I thought that was Tyler. It probably is Tyler, to be completely honest. It, that
0: seems like that seems like a Tyler Stewart
1: bit to me. No, it probably it probably was, you're right.
0: Because as soon as you said that, I'm like, yes, that is definitely Tyler Stewart being like, oh, cheer up, Kevin. <laughs> so funny you mentioned that, because the next thing I was gonna say is that so on this song that I don't really like very much, let's try to be positive. Here are three things I like about this song. Hey there, Jim. Hey. I like that. That's very funny. I like, and this is something, again, Megan is doing a lot of my interesting comments this episode. Megan pointed out that she thinks that Kevin has a very almost Willie Nelson kind of vocal quality on this song, which I like. I like that too. And the third thing I like about this song is I think the outro is hilarious. That's the best thing about this song is Tyler Stewart's weird crooner impression at the very end. I like it a lot. My dirty, dusty room. It's uh Again, I think we're I think we're in accord that we're not huge fans of this song. Chris, is there anything that you like about this song? I like the
1: fact that apparently Jim Cregan works out. The man looks like a twig or some sort of skeletal slender man. He's wiry. He's 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 long but powerful. You gotta do something to the past the time on tour it's either pinball or going to the gym
0: so the thing you like about this song is not the song anything about the song itself it's the information about jim cregan you learned from this song you would be correct sir which is i think says more about your opinions 100 yeah the next track we took the night,
1: we took the night. Speaking of Jim, I I very much like this song. What a difference. It's, it's
0: huge. It's so good. Yeah.
1: It's very alternative 90s in the best way possible. It feels like a real throwback. The groove is really good. Just like it, it, it grooves in a big way. And man, his voice just keeps getting better.
0: Better and better and better. It's like, it's so smooth. It's so clear. And it's like really powerful as well on this one. I think he's getting confidence. You can kind of feel that. Like
1: when he was doing stuff before, it always seemed kind of... This is just my theory, of course, but it always seemed more reserved. Like he has the voice of an angel, like like mm-hmm. you so eloquently put. It's um, But he seems to be having more fun and he's letting loose and he just seems to, to believe in his voice. And
0: this one is good, good stuff. I love this song. I think it's incredible. I think that business-wise, it would have been impossible to release a single that did not have ed robertson fronting it but i think this should have been the single from the record it is clearly the best song it's so singly it is so anthemic like mm. it's got a real like chest thumping stadium rock feel to it yeah i want to hear this at full volume at the acc like i'm not sure the bnl can fill the acc at this but, like they usually play like molson when they when they play or like the danforth music hall when they play intro, but like i want to hear this like filling a, a stadium
1: I'm going to take a wild shot in the dark here that this is this is the one that now has kind of gone into your top 10 BNL songs. All the Time We Took The Night.
0: Oh, that's a good point. No. Ooh, it's a different song. No, this is not the one I was talking about, but oh. this is yeah, but this is this is absolutely up there and now I'm like, oh, but I I'm not sure that this is in my top 10 by any stretch of the imagination, so maybe the other song I'm thinking of is further down the list too because We Took The Night is uh, is significantly higher above the the other songs. That I was thinking of That we're getting to No the other song I was thinking of Was specifically a Kevin song Oh okay Cause I was talking about How like generally I'm not a huge fan Of the Kevin songs Oh gotcha On this album Except for one of them Which is like One of my two favorite tracks Gotcha Okay right. Yeah so of- Yeah
1: i was like oh poor jim it's like yeah it could never be a single with jim and it's like oh it could never be in my top 10 a jim song no
0: (laughs) no and again the only reason i say that about the single is not anything musically about it because i think it this should by this should absolutely be the song on the radio from this album but because of marketing like the bare naked ladies sound like we keep on saying that some of the songs that ed doesn't front don't necessarily always sound like Bare Naked ladies songs like it wouldn't sound like a bare naked ladies song on the radio even though it is but that's why i assume you know the executives or the band deciding you can't put that on the radio because of marketing purposes when musically i think this is absolutely the singliest strongest song on the
1: album it's it's just it's effortlessly cool and yeah. it's just fun it's it's a fun <sighs> song and it
0: doesn't feel forced yeah and that's huge it's really short too like it's so it's so quick it's like 236 I yeah. think is what it comes in at. It's, oh, it's so good. In keeping with the continuing theme of like other bands that each of this different songs sound like. Okay, so this is like a really, really small Ontario band. So I'm not sure this is the most hipsterish sense because I'm basically saying, I don't think you've heard of them, Chris. But <laughs> I, one of my favorite bands is Enter the Haggis. Have you ever heard oh, of them? I have. I've, I've yeah, heard
1: yeah. of Enter the Haggis, but only because I'm friends with you. Yes, exactly.
0: Everybody buy their records. They're great. If you like, like, 90s-inspired, like, Celtic rock kind of stuff, they're, they're yeah, they'll, they'll scratch that edge. They're amazing. But they had a weird period where they dropped all of the Celtic influence from their music and just put out a couple, oh. like, pure, like, alternative rock folk records. Like, it was still folky, but again, like, they tried to move more towards that, like, B&L or Blue Rodeo or, um, or, or even the Tragically Hip kind of like sound. And We Took the Night absolutely sounds like a song from a, that period of that band. Did they just call themselves Enter during that period? No. They changed their name to Jubilee Riots?
1: They actually did change their name.
0: They absolutely changed their name. And then one LP and an EP later realized that they maybe shouldn't throw away 20 years of building up an audience with one band name and switched back. It's a bold move. So yeah, it was extremely bold move. Yeah, I think that they did that mostly because they were like, no, but we want the CBC to play our songs, but they won't because they think our name is silly. We'll change it to something else. Oh,
1: meanwhile, the Bare Naked Ladies, a very silly name, one of the most successful Canadian fans of all time,
0: just stick to your gumptions. Enter the Haggis. Yeah, you can absolutely make it work. Yeah, I don't have much else to say about this song other than I love it. I think it's great, and I think it's the best thing about this record. Amen. Amen. The next song, let's keep uh, navigating through this album here. Can't get lost I can navigate by stars I can build you and lean to
1: Yeah, that's pretty good. Navigate, track eight, we're on the back half. Navigate is, um, I will have to respectfully disagree with you. I think this is the best thing about the album. This is definitely my favorite song.
0: Oh, great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah.
1: We Took the Night is very, very close. So it's nice. That one two punch was very exciting because I was like, oh, we took the night oh Navigate. And I don't want to say anything at risk of upsetting you because I'm like Flying Dreams was a bit of a, but when you're saying your favorite Kevin Hearn song's coming up, I'm like, it it might be Flying Dreams, but we'll get to that. it's not necessarily um, coming up it just hasn't come up yet whoa i don't know if i'm just tired or uh you just, you just <laughs> blew my mind no this is definitely my favorite song on the album i think it's a beautiful love song it's it makes me miss camping and cottages and Aww. all of those all, all of those things because i very much miss going up to like gravenhurst for friends who have cottages up there i just think it's it's a nice refreshing love song from them because there's not a lot of conflict it seems in this. It, and Ed's. Vocals are beautiful in this.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I do not disagree with you about this song because this is a very, very close third place for me. Oh, okay. Good goes, We Took the Night, the mystery Kevin song that's coming up, and then very, very close behind it, Navigate. And I really like this song because it feels to me... Like a kind of like 2008 to 2012 era Coldplay song. Oh, yeah. Like okay. it sounds like it sounds like something off of like Viva La Vida or um, not uh, not X and Y. The one that came after. The one that came that. The one that came after Viva La Vida. Oh yeah yeah um, yeah. yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah, before they got really really synth heavy. That kind of. But they were experimenting with it. When they were just starting to become synth heavy and didn't fully embrace that to a negative degree in my opinion. <laughs> Um, I'm
1: so glad you agree with me about or you've confirmed my thoughts about modern day Coldplay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I could, I could very much see that. And the the way that Ed sings the song. Yeah, it's it's very Chris Martinesque and I didn't realize yeah. that until you just put that in my head and that's a really cool analogy. I really want to hear Chris Martin sing this song. I think it would be—I think it would be a really good fit for his voice. He, he'd have to politely pretend that he knows who the bare naked
0: ladies are. Jeez! He oh, hey, aren't those those mates who did that song for that comedy television program? I'm an actor. I can normally do a British accent. That was terrible.
1: <laughs> it's early in the morning. That's—it sounded better than what I could do.
0: <laughs> oh my god!
1: Oh, that was garbage. Chris Martin,
0: if you're listening, <laughs> so we go from my very close third favorite song on this album a really really great song to flying dreams track number nine
1: i hope it's a
0: fly and i just found out what this song is about and it makes me feel like a jerk for not liking it very much
1: i didn't know i just i kind of did i just did a whole bunch of research about like the guest vocalist and all this
0: other stuff mm-hmm. but i'm not actually sure what it alludes to so so please tell me so one of kevin's kids has like a de- developmental disorder of some kind that i'm not completely aware of but she we- can't communicate very easily Yeah, Yeah.
1: I remember when we did Silverball. Tired of Fighting With You, I tried to say the name of of the disease, and it uh, was—I probably butchered it. But yeah, it's incredibly rare.
0: Yeah, it's incredibly rare, yeah. So this is—yeah, so apparently Flying Dreams is, yeah, just Kevin talking to his daughter and uh, wondering what she's thinking in there because she can't communicate. Yeah, so just hoping that she's having a happy life full of nice dreams. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, that's incredibly powerful. I think it's an incredibly—I've
1: got this in my notes— incredibly lush and deep. I think that mm-hmm. just like the from a musical standpoint, just musicianship, it's probably the most layered song on the album.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's—it's it's not my cup of tea, unfortunately. I think it very much does hit that tired of fighting with you vein, mm-hmm. where we both kind of agreed. Well, you can appreciate it for what it is, especially now that you know you've just shared with me what it's about. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to enjoy it. You know, it's kind of like, yeah. it's kind of like, I don't know, like watching Schindler's List, being like, no one's going <laughs> to, you're, you're, you're watching Schindler's List, you're like, I can appreciate just what a what a passion project this was for Steven Spielberg, and this was horrible, and it's a very educational film. That being said, probably don't need to watch it again. It's, uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a really beautiful song, it, yet again, one of those Kevin Hearn songs that sounds like what it's describing, I, like, it does have that feeling of, like, floating through the air, musically, as you listen to it, but it in that same vein, the song kind of puts me to sleep. Yeah, so this song is really, really pretty. It's really lush. It's really beautiful. The subject matter is very meaningful and sweet. Again, definitely now knowing what it's about, like the line, uh, but I'll never know what you see. I hope it's a flying dream. That's really, really sweet and sad and bittersweet. Mm. That being said, again, yeah. Speaking of dreams, the song kind of puts me to sleep. It's a little bit too slow for me. It kind of doesn't stand out to me until I know what it's about explicitly. And I feel like that's a problem.
1: Yeah, we'd probably be remiss to not uh, give a shout out to the guest vocalist on this, Tanya Tagak. Oh, cool! Who's an Inic throat singer. So that's where that very unique riff at the beginning comes from. I think that one of her albums was nominated, if not won, the Polaris Music Prize one year. No, she is very accomplished, yeah. Yeah, I think that probably like undeniably I'd say like I mean I don't know my I don't know my Inuk throat singers, but in terms of that that very difficult style of mm-hmm. singing and music, I think she by far is the most famous throat mm-hmm. singer there is. And it's very cool that they that they got her. She's an Order of Canada recipient. Her contributions really fit in with what Kevin's laying down
0: in terms of the layers. So yeah, because Kevin's doing I feel like a lot of like layered art rocky kind of stuff on this record and that definitely aids in that vibe the fact that Alan Doyle Jim Cuddy and now Tanya Tagak are all guessing on this album is not helping the impression that everyone in Canada knows each other
1: and it doesn't help my both yours and mine's feeling of like we really want to like this track more than we should you know it's got this very accomplished famous uh, Canadian treasure got uh, the personal meaning but I feel like I don't know I feel like we can probably just move
0: on (laughs) Yeah. so yeah track 10 nobody better. Nobody better. Forever and never. This is the second song on this album that all I got to
1: say is, yeah, it's pretty good. It's very much a ripoff of Good Riddance at the beginning by Green Day. In the guitar part? Yeah, I think so. And then just the way that it just kind of cuts off. But then they really commit to the bit because that's the entire thing. The only other note, I I think that, yeah, I think that we could probably move on quickly. But I've just put this, is this the token Stevens song? But I think that you're right as much as I don't want to believe it Canada Dry is probably lyrically and looking at it makes a lot more sense about being
0: about Stephen than this one is yeah it makes sense because it's such a big important thing in Steve's life and them being such good friends and stuff but it's still like I'm just kind of bummed out that there are yet again two songs about that on this record I I feel like there's been enough space to move away from that subject matter but yeah. At least, at least this Stephen Page song—they're not screaming "cake" every five seconds. <laughs> I still cannot believe that song's about Stephen. I love "Piece of Cake." Cake, cake, cake. <laughs> Speaking of songs that repeat words over and over again, track eleven, "Bag of Bones." I big dogs. A bar, respect this song. I don't really like it, but I respect what it's trying to do. I think it's really, really interesting. It's not
1: my thing. I am very glad you said that, because when you said oh, my favorite Kevin Hearn song keeps on coming up, things like that, and I was gonna say, did I miss the mark completely, and do I not know you that well? Which would have made me very sad, because I think I've put in my notes here, is this too jokey Boys for you? The only reason I thought it might be, and it would be a huge curveball, is that this song kind of reminds me of Four Seconds off of All In Good
0: Time. I can see that comparison. I can definitely see that comparison.
1: And we had wildly differing opinions on that song where I hated it and you very much enjoyed that song. I'm the same way. I like what they're trying to do it's cool that Kevin's experimenting a bit more it's just
0: so experimental yeah.
1: yeah do you think it's a do you think it's a jokey boy song or do you think
0: it's so out there it's actually not really jokey I don't think it's a BNL jokey song yet again I think that there's just a tremendous like it, it to me every, like so many Kevin Hearn songs on this album sound like they might be giant songs to me <laughs> like especially the big dogs little dogs like that just sounds like a lost They Might Be Giants track to me, and then it really quickly segues into that, like, Beach Boys bridge. Yeah, yeah. Which, again, is really, really cool, because I never thought I would make a Beach Boys comparison on a Naked Ladies record. But, yeah, it's just really weird and all over the place. And, yeah, it's cool, and it's experimental, and it works. It's, I just, it just, yeah, it just doesn't do much for me
1: a lot of Kevin it's so funny that it very much is like Kevin Hearn songs there's not really like massive emotions we have much much like him he's he's a very he's a very calm mellow guy yeah. but like when he when something doesn't land it's cool that you can kind of appreciate it for what it is but yeah you're right it's just not my i i don't think that i'd be a fan of... A thin buckle. Like, I haven't heard a lot of it, but I'm just yeah. like, I appreciate him as a songwriter and the things that he contributes, but honestly, his kind of batting average when it comes to the songs that he fronts,
0: it's not very good. So we go from a extremely prototypical Kevin Hearn song to, I think, a very extremely prototypical Ed Robertson song. In the interestingly written song title, You and Me Versus the World, written, You Plus Me VS. Period the world it's you and me the world there's no white
1: flags when you're my girl
0: similar to how i want to hear chris martin covering navigate i want to hear foreigner do this song <laughs> like this this sounds like a cover of a lost song from the top gun soundtrack to me like this sounds like a mid to late 80s love power ballad and I'm not sure that's really where Ed Robinson sits as a vocalist or a musician. Yeah, like, I think it's I think it's a good song that maybe they should have sold to another band that does that better, specifically Foreigner. I appreciate that, and I might be looking into it too much,
1: but the line, there's no white flag when you were my girl. It feels to me like a callback to the flag from Gordon. So you go from one of their most recent albums to... <clears throat> A very early one. Not just because it's a... You can talk about white flags, of course, in different songs, but the flag is about an incredibly abusive relationship. And the fact that he's saying there's no white flags when you're my girl, it's almost like saying, hey, this relationship is good. It's not like that. No white flags here. You don't have to worry. That's the way that I looked at it. So kind of like a, hey, remember that relationship I talked about in this song? This one's different. Although I think that his grasp of fire safety is very upsetting. You should not stay in a burning building with someone. You should
0: try to get them both out. (laughs) Yeah, I think that burning building metaphor falls into what I thought that the white flag thing was. It's like, oh yeah, there's no giving up in this relationship. Like, we'll never give up on life or each other. Which is more like just kind of a literal surface reading of that line. I like your idea of it as a callback. I think that's more interesting. Yeah. I think you're right. The Princess Bride is one of my favorite movies. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I like the reference in this song. I don't know. Maybe it's because I know that reference so well it feels too on the nose and obvious. Maybe it would work better on a listener that doesn't know that movie backwards and forwards
1: I don't know I mean if he said something like if he started with you know if you're in the fire swamp I'll come in with you I'm like that's great because that's what you should do because no one's ever made it out of the fire swamp alive except for them Mm. but I actually do like this song I think it's quite good I I get weirdly uncomfortable when it comes to love ballads that get just get really intense really quickly like this one you know if there's a burning building I'll jump in death cab for cutie one of my favorite bands like one of their biggest songs is I will follow you into the dark which is love of mine someday you will die and i'll be close behind i'm like jesus all right bruno mars i'd catch a grenade for you i'd jump in front of a train for you that's these things aren't romantic these are the the waxings of deeply psychotic individuals who do not understand what love is huh that being said i like the princess bride too that was a weird tangent but (laughs) yeah And Kerry Elwes should get more work.
0: Yes, absolutely. Though, again, like Mark Hamill, I feel like he gets more work than people realize. Like, I don't think he's hurting. (laughs) Shout out to
1: a podcast done by uh, two very funny comedians, Jocelyn Getty and Kat Angus from Toronto. I hate it, but I love it.
0: Yep. Great, great show. Great other show. Give it a follow.
1: They just did an episode based on the movie Watchmen. And they said that they always thought that, or I think Jocelyn said that Carrie Elwes should have been Night Owl. Oh my God, really that well. would have
0: been perfect. But like in the Princess Bride era, like if they had adapted that movie in the late 80s, that is exactly the casting. that That would have been amazing. So good. Oh man!
1: Anyways, this this song turned into a Carrie Elwes uh, appreciation uh, post, but why not? Well, awesome. well that's
0: going to happen when you put a line that's literally about the movie *The Princess Bride* into one of your deep side B album tracks. <laughs> so we move from again what I think is a foreigner song to what I and I think also you, looking at your notes, think is another tragically hip song. Hundred percent. Twenty twenty hindsight. A I am a big fan of this song. I really, really like this song, but because, again, I think Kev does a really good job singing his own song, but I think this would have worked even better if they had just sold this song to the Tragically Hip. Yeah, I agree. And had Gord sing it and then play it. Yeah, because it sounds exactly like a Tragically Hip song. Very
1: specifically, it sounds like Little Bones. Like, just that riff Mm, is very much like, oh. And... And I think I'm a fan of this because of that, because I love the hip and mm-hmm. the groove is awesome. It also makes sense lyrically because I had no idea, like, God damn, Kevin Hearn is like a a, a walking saint. Like he is apparently oh. the nicest guy in the world. But when Gord Downey was going As much through, as we keep
0: knocking his songs this album, I'm, guys, I'm so sorry.
1: Uh, Schindler's List was an Academy Award winning film. <laughs> <laughs> he was actually there for Gord Downey, like- and I think Gord moved in with him during the final stages of Gord's oh, cancer. Oh, wow. They were super close because of course Kevin had has had his bout with cancer. Things like that. He helped co-write a lot of tracks on Gord's final solo album. Did a lot of backing stuff. So, and yeah, just, just like was there as like it was caring for him in a lot of that. And it's interesting because I feel like the lyrics, it, it they, it, you know, talking about friends and we'll see you again. And just with Gord being so sick at this point, it's, I'm wondering if it's an intentional callback to the hip because I could very much see him waxing about his time with Gord.
0: Yeah. So like, is this song explicitly about Gord Downey and their friendship, and is the musical style an homage to his band because of that content?
1: Yeah. That's really
0: cool. Yeah.
1: It, it, I'm, I might be grasping at straws, but that's the way I kind of choose to interpret it because it is mm-hmm. so. And the fact that you you agreed even before we went on the air, mm-hmm. like it this
0: this is a hip song. This is straight up like yeah. a,
1: just that that riff, that groove.
0: Yeah. I also wonder if like, you know, like they were hanging out and seeing each other a lot during that period, like Gord Downey isn't credited on this song, but I wonder if, no, maybe he took a pass at it or something Mm -hmm. like that musically. Maybe that's, maybe that's where some of that influence came from. If Kevin did similar stuff for solo work. Yeah. Also, Ephraim, I'm no detective,
1: but I think I've solved the mystery of the Kevin Hearn song. That's your favorite. Which one do you think it is? by pure process of elimination. Do you think it's this one?
0: I do not. You're right. It's the next one. <laughs> the final track of the album, ending with two Kevin Hearn-led tracks, is The Township of King. And I will climb Yeah, this is one of my new favorite Bare Naked Lady songs. I, because I, I, honest to God, don't think I actually listened to this album the whole way through when it came out. I think I only heard this song recently when I said, well, I guess I better listen to this whole thing because I'm doing a podcast. And I got to the end of the record and this song just came out of nowhere and smacked me because for me specifically and my weird idiosyncratic specific tastes in music I love that this just goes full on like 90s east coast canadian folk vibe this sounds like a like a lost not alan doyle sean mccann of great big Sea song the other lead vocalist of great big Sea. this sounds like a lost song of his but it's about ontario not newfoundland yeah, I really, really like this track. It's just so folky. It's like classically composed in a folk style. Tyler uses a lot of bass drum to kind of replicate. Like, I'm not sure if it's to replicate the sound of a balran, but you could you could play the percussion of this song on like an Irish hand drum. Uh, which is an instrument I kind of, sort of know how to play, which makes oh. me want to do, which makes me like want to do a cover of this song. I really like this song. I'm glad. I'm glad you feel so
1: passionate about it because I literally only have one note for it, which is a country banger. That's not done by Ed. And and those are those yeah. are my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, it's. I I enjoy it very much too and knowing you and your and based on your musical taste I mean it it shouldn't come as a surprise that this would be kind of like up there for you which is cool. And I like that the fact that you're that you were saying that oh you know I hadn't fully listened to this album so it's cool to discover this. It's kind of like um stunt those bonus tracks long way back home because that <clears> became <throat> one of your like Favorite yeah, yeah, I think too. yeah, this is the this is the next long way back home for me. <laughs> yeah, into a uh, discovery. So, so that's cool. And yeah, you're like you said very There've been a couple of times on the album where it's just been back-to-back Kevin tracks. So, that's they're definitely leaning on him in a big way, and I guess that I'm really curious because I have not listened to detour de force, so we will kind yep. of go on that musical journey together first experiences. I don't even know what the what the track listing is or anything like that. So, I don't know if they've toned back with Kevin, but I don't know, I guess I guess to, if we just jump into final thoughts, I feel like it's, yeah. it's... I think we should jump into final thoughts. I think it's... I'm glad to see him carrying the weight. They clearly rely on him a lot, and he's an incredible musician. I don't think there's ever going to be that chemistry that Ed and Steve had. Hmm. whether that comes down to songwriting yeah. uh, when that comes down to their voices. So for me, this felt like kind of, kind of felt like Speakerbox The Love Below by Outkast where like each <laughs> each of them did like one album and then they just like you can look at it as a double album and I'm like, "Oh, okay."
0: I I wonder, do you think it maybe would have worked better if they had leaned into that and they had done like a side A and a side B of all ed or all kevin i think if you changed
1: around these tracks a bit and if we went back to the world of you know cassettes or or a vinyl yes i think it probably would have and it's interesting because like kevin co-wrote a lot of the ed robertson led Mm -hmm. songs too so he is a very good songwriter he's just not i think what ed and steve had was something that's very yeah, It might sound a bit kind of um, outlandish to say, but they really had like a Lennon and McCartney thing going
0: on, Yeah, I feel, Stephen yeah. Ed,
1: so you can't really replicate that.
0: Yeah, and you know, Paul went on to do Wings, and John went on to do his own thing, but it wasn't the Beatles anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder whether or not had the Beatles stayed together and like John had just left, or just Paul had left, like whether there'd be a similar thing where they'd be like, well, it's still the Beatles, but it sounds like Wings? if like John left yeah it's kind of interesting and I think that's one of the reasons why Steve was kind of taken aback they're like wait you're still calling yourselves our band name but I thought we were because I think that was a bone of contention in that split that was that he was like oh I knew you were gonna keep playing but you didn't change your band name And Ed was like, well, you ran away.
1: Fuck, that's a good name for a song.
0: (laughs) So by way of a different band metaphor. So I sometimes talk about U2 on this podcast, too, because they're one of my favorite, one of my favorite bands as well. And that band kind of goes through three album arcs where like the first album is they decide to try a new thing. It works. They refine that for the second album in the trilogy, and then they push it too hard for the third <laughs> one, and then realize they have to change things up. So I think that fake nudes in the in the Grinning Streak Silverball fake nudes trilogy definitely lands in that pop or no line on the horizon kind of territory of you two, rather than a all oh, you can't leave behind or an actung baby that Grinning Streak is. It's that they're still trying to do Grinning Streak, and I think at the end of this album, I would hope have realized that maybe they need to try something different, that they've kind of tapped that vein for a half record too long. Yeah. And that's why I'm really, really excited about Detour de Force, because the two songs that I have heard from it that were singles that I listened to before we decided to do a live listen are really, really different. One of them I really, really like, one of them I'm not so hot on, but one of them I really, really love. And I'm hoping that means that the new record is really, really different and interesting and cool and awesome because, yeah, New Disaster, not to just jump ahead to our next episode, hearing New Disaster has made me more excited about The Bare Naked Ladies than I have been since Grinning Streak in, like, 2012. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. Yeah, that's
1: good. And I think I think you're right. I think that tying it back to fake nudes, I think that this amount of time between albums does not do them any favors. No. And I think you're right where four and a half years now or whatever period that they Mm -hmm. have taken between this and the next album is hopefully going to it's going to give them something that's just better than what this was when it was just a year and a half out and that sounds harsh Mm -hmm. because i i mean we'll get into ranking them but i guess like final thoughts were it's not an offensive album it's still maybe you should drive is still my least favorite album but (laughs) i would probably
0: say like this is maybe second or third least to be completely honest uh, yeah, I, uh, also, I'm leading this episode. Sorry, I forgot to do our traditional where does this land in our current ranking question. No, no, I'm sorry. Because it's our last you. episode. No, 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 absolutely not. Yeah, because for me, this is currently dead last oh okay yeah it it surpasses maybe
1: you should drive
0: damn yeah i like i like maybe you should drive and i also like i also like fake nudes but i think it really comes down to when it comes to that placement like i would put on maybe you should drive Mm. i'm not sure these days i would really put on fake nudes as an album i would put like a couple songs from it on playlists i would put navigate we took the night in township of king on playlists those are some great songs but i'm not sure i would just listen to it front to back the whole way through very often so that's why it's dead last for me and on that note that's it up to this point this is kind of a weird season se- season finale cuz this is yeah. the end of the original format this is the last released studio album of the bare naked ladies I'm really glad you said that because I forgot to ask you off air being like, should we just call
1: this a season finale? But you're, I'm I'm picking what you're, (laughs) I like it. It's the exact same thing. I agree. I think that this is pretty much the end of what we originally agreed to do, but we've got so much more to talk about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. As I said, we are going to talk about the new album in an almost similar format to this, but we're going to do it really, really off the cuff and we're going to give it a a live listen. We'll figure out technically how we want to do that off air. Um, But that's going to be a really, really cool and interesting episode. I look forward to that. And then I think we have at least one to one, one or two more catch up episodes because there's some cool concert anecdotes I certainly haven't talked about yet. I really want to talk about the Christmas album for half an hour to 45 minutes at least Um, because I'm a crazy person and I love Christmas yeah so we are definitely not going away we are not in between this and our new weird live listen format episode Chris where can our listeners find you other places on the internet oh
1: they can find me in my house during the sixth lockdown of Melbourne you talk about Ed Robertson saying road really Canadian. I definitely just said house very Canadian. You can find me in my house. In the World Wide Web, you can find me on Twitter at CSmall201. You can also follow the official Clothemen BNL Twitter at CMDBNL. Uh, I'm also on Instagram as CSmallTraveler. And I just signed up for TikTok. So maybe I'll be on that later. I don't, I don't know. It seems as though there's some cool stuff happening. I've got ADHD and... I used to link like articles to my wife being like, oh, this is kind of like how my brain works. She's like, cool, I'll give that give that a watch. But now she just watches ADHD educational videos on TikTok and she seems to really understand what's going through my brain. So there you go.
0: All right. I was about to say, do you, I don't know
1: how to TikTok. No, the only so, I eh. also Giannis uh, Antetokounmpo, the MVP of the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, has an amazing video where because he is Greek, he goes, oh, this is Tiki talkie So now I just can't refer to TikTok and as anything other than Tiki Talkie.
0: <laughs> it's a much better name, <laughs> Tiki Talkie. Well, excellent. I might have to sign up for t- Tiki for, uh, for talkie just to follow uh, Chris Mell's TikTok. Look out for that, guys. And I'm Ephraim Ellis, and you can find me uh, on Instagram at Ephraim Ellis. And at some point, probably in the mid-afternoon, in the Hallmark romantic comedy film *The Wedding Ring* uh, with Lauren Lee Smith, you could watch that movie to see me in it, or you could watch the trailer for it because the entirety of my one scene in that movie is in the trailer. Which we'll is put a link up, up on Twitter. Fun. We should put up a link up on Twitter. That's it for the clothed men discuss bare naked ladies for now. We'll see you next time for our live listen of *Detour de Force*, and until then, remember everybody, we have, have been, been clothed the whole time. See you later, everybody. Take it easy.